UK Motor Talk. Today we're at one of the finest motor museums, but we're here for a very special day because today is a celebration of the last land speed record that was set on the circuit. It was set on the Brooklyn's Banking, fearsome Brooklyn's Banking, by Canal Lee Guinness in a 350 horsepower Sunbeam, 133.75 MPH. I'm Kay Lee Guinness, yep, and I am the uh, grandson of Kay Lee Guinness, who set the record in the 350 Sunbeam back in 1922. And we yeah. just recreated that event with this wonderful steam train behind us. And, and what does the car actually like to drive? I drove it yesterday, and it, you know, it's it's an amazingly functional car. And thanks to Buley and Ian and the team down there, they've created a car that's quite drivable. The brakes are a bit grabby. It's got a very short throw on the accelerator pedal, so you're either sort of on or off. And the suspension's pretty bumpy. It's a pretty stiff suspension. But at the end of the day, it wants to run, and you get very tempted to, to put your foot down, but we don't have a lot of room here. Well, so you have to sort of be well-behaved. And, and it is pretty bumpy here these days, as, as we've seen from some of the films. It is indeed, but what a great thing that we have this track, and we have the high banking and, and everything. Such a great piece of history. And it's a, an amazing feat by your your uh, grandfather to, to, to stay actually in the car. It was. The car has a reputation of being very finicky and very difficult to drive and, and not an easy car to manage. And he was one of the few that could manage it. And uh, it was not a friendly car. And uh, what he was able to do was very unique. Yet this car went on to hold two more records. It did. Increasingly larger engine. Campbell, indeed. Campbell refined it and, and pushed it even further. But I think what's unique about what my grandfather did is he did it on a circuit. And after him, uh, all the land speed records were on the straight. And so if you think about it, he had to maintain that speed on an oval track uh, with corners and trying to stage those specific speed runs through the traps. And it was the end of that era. And from then on, it moved into the flats and to the other places on beaches and things like that. So, so a very brave beautiful. man that we've honored here today with a recreation of that 1922 record. Indeed, indeed. And I'm so glad that, that everybody put this together and really that we can remember all the great drivers of that period that really forged the way for for many of the things that we know today in terms of motor car racing. So. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Indeed, Thank my you. pleasure. Thank you. Now, had our time on the track. We're going to start the
Well, on this uh, glorious day and scorching day, as it's proven to be at Brooklands, the gentleman I'm about to talk to, Alan Wynn, has uh, been associated with Brooklands really since the beginning. Not 1907, I hasten to add, but when it became a museum. Yeah, well, um, I've been involved directly with the museum since 1996. The trustees decided that um, as a vintage Bentley racer and the editor of an aviation magazine, I was ideally placed to um, uh, to come on board as uh, to chair the what was then the Association of Friends of the Museum. And seven years later, I was in exactly the right place when there was a vacancy for the directorship. So I, I became the director in 2003 and ran the museum until 2018. It's been a complicated history because there was a, one stage, well, it was a group of friends, if you like, to start with, and then a, a lease and a 99-year lease and then a, a freehold purchased and then the site gradually extended. It's been a complicated way to get here to where we are today. It has, uh, because obviously um, uh, once Vickers had uh, bought the site in 1946 and racing had stopped, you know, a lot of people thought, well, that's the end of it, we will never see Brooklands again. And uh, a staggering amount of the history managed to uh, survive. Um, Vickers did chop out a bit of the Byfleet banking and eventually uh, the sappers had to come and blow up the remains of the Hennebeck Bridge after it was damaged in a storm in uh, 1968. Um, but yes, a huge amount of the site survived and then eventually yes um, 40 acres at the top here were parceled off um, and became what was then Gala Tobacco were able to build their new headquarters building at the top of the hill and the planning gain involved was to at least 30 acres of uh, what they had bought to a nascent museum and uh, so the museum was set up formally opened to the public in 1991 and uh, then we were extraordinarily lucky when uh, Gallagher's became part of Japan Tobacco and in 2010 Japan Tobacco um, handed over the, uh, the freehold of in fact nearly 32 acres so the museum is now the, uh, the sole owner of its, uh, of its own site. A wonderful gesture and it's, I mean the, the site is, is enormous but you are actually jam-packed here now aren't you there's so much on the site when we uh, got the site of course it, it was even less usable than it is now because uh, we had a lot of world war ii legacy left behind not least being um, a 180 foot long 100 foot wide uh, hangar sitting in the middle of the finishing straight and by uh, by moving that which was part of the huge aircraft factory and racetrack revival project we managed to move and restore the hangar which now has this fantastic exhibition about the history of aircraft development and manufacture but that freed up the finishing straight we were able to restore that which gave us this big wide open space where as you see later we can demonstrate um, old racing cars at representative speeds which is a lovely thing to be able to do. I mean I guess sadly you, you are so hemmed in now that the chances of ever expanding are just about zero. We still um, uh, hold hopes that at some stage we will be able to put some form of bridge back across the river joining the members banking which is inside the museum site yeah. to the railway straight on the Mercedes-Benz side yeah. and that that would give us um, uh, including the finishing straight over a mile of the original circuit and that would be the most fantastic thing uh, that we could ever do. Something like the association with Mercedes-Benz has been it's been good for, for the museum. Working with Mercedes has been absolutely fantastic because when they moved in yes we had to relocate some aeroplanes which we had sitting out on the old airfield site but in return 
we got visitor car parking off-site, which transformed the use of the site. Imagine a day like today if we'd had to park all our visitors actually within the museum. So that was a fantastic thing. It gave us a new grass airstrip on which we can land small aeroplanes. Um, it gave us um, occasional use of the Mercedes circuits, which we use. So we last used them uh, th three weeks ago for our Italian car day and uh, dozens of Lamborghinis and other things pounding around the Mercedes circuit. Um, so from all that point of view, it's been fantastic having Mercedes next door. You know, compared with what could have happened eventually, yeah. you know, yes, it was zone green belt, you know how much value is in that. Eventually, we would have had a housing estate and uh, more uh, supermarkets and so forth. The big thing is that you know, these, these companies, people say, oh, they're just full of, uh, full of anonymous suits and so forth. But inside all these motor companies, there are actually people who understand. And we've been very, very lucky that there are people in Mercedes who understand. So they talk our language. They're all car nuts, basically. Yeah, uh, underneath, the, you know, they get excited when they see something like the Napier Railton pounding around their track. You know, um, uh, and uh, when we had the centenary shortly after Mercedes-Benz yeah, World yeah, Open, yeah. and uh, yeah, there were all these people watching Lewis Hamilton pounding around the track in a current Formula One car. Yeah, now, we would never have seen Lewis Hamilton in a current Formula One car driving anywhere near Brooklands if it hadn't been for Mercedes. I think that was the day that Susie Wolfe drove me round. And I, I didn't know Susie Wolf's background and career at that stage. And I thought, God, she's going quite fast. Mm. And, and she's absolutely awesome on that handling circuit. Yeah, it's a, it's a great little circuit. It's um, a bit tight for some uh, large motor cars, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic place to go out and, and really see you know, how good the technology of a Mercedes-Benz is. You, know, you can yeah. really try them out. Just going past us because there was a huge display of land speed record cars today is the museum's own Napier Railton, which is a you know it's a fire spitting monster from days gone by, isn't that? A lovely, lovely sound. He's going to boot it in a moment and uh, take it up the demonstration area just to show a little of what it is capable of doing. With John Cobb at the wheel, this held the uh, world land speed record in its day. So we have land speed record cars here from, uh, I think the oldest was 1905. This is nearer to the uh, late 20s, early 30s, and um, significantly different engineering. But these, these were, driven by very, very brave men, and some women, not many, but very brave men, at ridiculous speeds on this most fearsome of circuits. But a wonderful day out, and a wonderful exhibition of cars from car makers, who by and large no longer exist. We've seen Sotto Fraschini, Fraser Nash, ancient Fiats, some would say MG no longer exists, that's a matter of opinion, um, but there are all kinds of cars here and regularly here, so uh, to the delight of an enormous crowd, as soon as you bring the Napier Railton out and that, that growl, people appear from everywhere.
Mark, good morning. We're at this centenary event here with an enormous display of cars. Mm. This, I think, is one of the oldest racing cars. It's not a racing car, it's a land speed record car. Right, okay. Were they not both in their day? Well, no, it doesn't go in a race. Oh, right, okay. Well, no, no, that's not true. Some land speed record cars were racing cars. And in fact, Darak had held a land speed record with one of their racing cars before this, and then they lost it, and I presume they decided they have to get serious and design a car specifically to break the land speed record, which is what this is. And the only rules at the time were it had to weigh under a thousand kilograms, right. which is why there's no bodywork, there's no gearbox. So it's the biggest there's engine. No, there's no floor either. Uh, no, mm, yeah, no floor. It's the biggest engine in the smallest car. And there you go. Well, tell us about the engine. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary from the almost the very earliest, well, the earliest decade of, of motor racing of any sort with an enormous engine. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible car. If this was only a year older, you could take it on the London to Brighton run, which is full of cars that can barely make themselves go. And this this car first ran in December 1905, where it broke the world record at 109 miles an hour on a road in the south of France. And then they managed to get it on a boat and got it to the Florida Speed Week in January 1906, uh, where it was the first car to do two miles in a minute, which is 120 miles an hour. How big is the engine? I mean, get, it's quite big. Try and equate it to yeah, a well, modern car. I'm hoping it's the biggest engine here. Um, it's 25.4 litres. And possibly the oldest V8 running V8 in the world. It's a fantastic thing. And it, at, at this time, we'd only been, we only had motorsport for what, 10 years or so. Yes, it's incredible. Um, and what is extraordinary, seeing as all it had to do was to do a flying kilometre once, really. Um, here we are 117 years later, and last weekend I drove to the south of Paris to an event at Montlhery and drove it home again on the road. And it's, um, it's not easy. I mean, it's only got two gears, and at tick over in bottom gear you're doing over 30, so towns are tricky, but not impossible. It's difficult, but not impossible. And, you know, being held up with modern traffic the whole time is a bit tricky as well, but, yeah, it's good. You know, it's a bit thirsty. It's only how, got a little tank. Yep. How long have you owned it? Oh... Uh, Ooh, about 15 years, I think. Coming back to your tank comment, it's not often you pull one of these onto a forecourt and ask for a top-up. No, no, I did. There was, it was getting... You can't see it, but there are flames coming out of the exhaust most of the time. There was, I did, you know, drive into a petrol station in the evening at one point and, you know, parked near a sign that says, no naked flames, and uh-huh. noticed that there were three-foot-long flames coming out of the exhaust, licking around the petrol pump, uh, but uh, we got away with it. Well, it's, it's a wonderful tribute to the... It looks so wonderfully original. It's not... Well, it's largely it's original. It's not museum it's restored. Not, no, 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 it's, it's, it's used. It's a, there's no point in having a car like this not using it. It's not easy to start, though. You need both hands on the crank handle and pull like hell. And if you're lucky, it goes. Yeah, yeah turning over a big V8 like yes. that, I can imagine, is no, a, it's a bit of a problem, yeah. Mm. Well, thank you. It's a delightful car to see here. Thank you. My thank pleasure. Thank you very much. OK. Thank you. So, adding to uh, some of the car makes that are no longer with us that are gathered here together today, Riley, one of the great British manufacturers in its day, Bentley of course, absolutely pristine. The, uh, I think it's Sedanka de Ville, is it? The uh, bit that uh, comes down at the back, the convertible bit. Singer, another beautiful example of uh, pre-Second World War motoring. Well, in fact, some of them pre-First World War. Another Singer. Another Bentley. Ford. Elvis was another one there. 
These days, Elvis only make military vehicles. Long gone as a car maker. And this is one that I don't know and have never heard of, an HE. I'll have to investigate that later, I think. MG, Austin 6, what a grand car that was in its day. And the, uh, the Riley, they, they were really lovely. I mean, the police used to use Rileys at one, one stage because they were so quick. Uh, like in the Jaguar Mark II era, when the cops all had to have Jaguar Mark II so they could chase the robbers. We also had them. And uh, in their day, the Riley Pathfinder fulfilled the same function for the police force. Another 100-year-plus monster, the Yasosa Frashini, and I'm talking to its owner, Michael Vardy, and his wife, Jackie, uh, standing alongside him. This is an absolute monster, 1905. Another one of the, the car maker's names that was great 100 years ago and is now all but forgotten, apart yep. from you know, people yep. are really into these cars. Yeah, This is, a, is an Yasosa Frashini engine Fiat. Right. It was a prototype car that Fiat built in 05. Yeah. It's a long story, but it's a car called the Flying Dutchman that Mercedes built, did a Lansby record car, which had two engines in it. Mm. And although it broke the record, they wouldn't give them the record because they said it was special because it had two engines. Now, this car started life with two engines in it, uh, two four-cylinder, 100-horsepower engines. So Fiat scrapped the project. So they took the engines out and put them in the 05 Grand Prix cars, which right. there were four of. Yeah. So Louis Chevrolet in America destroyed one of them. Uh, two of the engines are still in the 05 Fiat cars. And in the last year, the missing engine, the fourth engine, has, has been found and turned up in a 130 horsepower Fiat in, in, in Italy. So this came out of a First World War airship engine. Yeah, it's 16 and a half litre. In first gear, it's producing at the rear wheels about 3,000 pounds feet of torque because obviously through the gears it multiplies. Yeah. So it's 250 horsepower rated at and 16 and a half litres. So and still road legal? Yeah, we, we road and race. That's what I yeah. thought, yeah. Yeah, we do, uh, you know, we do Goodwood and Chelsea and Prescott and Schlossdick and all, all kinds of events. So it's, it's used in anger. It's very, very powerful. It's an amazing hill climb car. Um, it's scary uh, on the long circuits because we can make it go like hell, but it's 2.2 tonne and you can't stop it. But it's a wonderful thing to drive. Jackie helps. She has to pump the fuel and do the oil and things like that. And exactly what the riding the mechanic had to do in those days. Yeah, yeah, do my bit for him. <laughs> That's a wonderful, wonderful vehicle. It's a delight to see uh, these old cars. And, and just picking up on one, one comment that you made, it's, most people these days don't realise that people like Louis Chevrolet was a person, yeah. not a brand. No, exactly. You know, and yeah. all of these cars were started by persons. Absolutely. Renault, the Renault brothers, yeah. etc. Yeah. Louis Chevrolet was a very good driver of his time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. But they were all a bit crazy, as you know. You had to be crazy to do it. And you needed a lot of money. Like, a lot of them were motorcycle racers before they got absolutely. into it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. A gorgeous car and a tribute to both of you. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking us through it. Very welcome. Have a lovely day. Much appreciated. Thank, thank you. you for your time.
Well, that's still the Napier Railton in the background, but they've changed drivers. So they've gone for, well, the world's fastest man. That was Andy Green, the World Land Speed record holder in the Napier Railton. And uh, he's giving it a bit of welly and enjoying every second of it. A bit different to uh, Thrust SSC. His record's 763 miles an hour, I think, from memory. Um, this is a rather different ball game, but he's clearly having a great time and going round and round and round. Finally, I've caught up with the world's fastest man, and uh, he's in a car that was fastest in its day, but this is somewhat different than Apia Routon from what you're used to driving. This is, uh, every time I come back to Brooklands, I'm reminded about the astonishing heritage of uh, you know, British motorsport. Uh, you, you know, you ask anybody, where is Formula One based? Where is all the expertise? Where is all the, the talent? And the answer is the UK. And you can trace that all the way back to what we would now call the world's first motorsport and aerospace technology park, Brooklands Racetrack, the first purpose-built banked racetrack anywhere in the world. And by 1918, it was also one of the largest aircraft manufacturing plants in Europe. So all of the tyre and engine and chassis manufacturers, plus all of the aerospace technology developments and the lightweight structures and the lightweight engines and the wind tunnels, all the technology was in one place to do something astonishing, both for the land speed record and cars like this magnificent Napier Railton, and subsequently for track racing, which is why Formula One today is still dominated by Britain being best in class, best in the world. And it's, it's such a thrill to come back and see bits of technology like this actually working. You know, this car did some astonishing things, including setting amazing records. The obvious one for Brooklands is the all-time uh, lap record at over 140 miles an hour, which on the bank track here is astonishing. It required not just straight line speed, but it actually required handling that the driver, John Cobb in that particular case, could trust. Because in those days, there was no such thing as crash structure. If it went wrong, that was the last time it went wrong for you. You and the car were both shunted off to the scrapyard and never heard from again. So he had to trust the, the handling and the technology and the strength of this car. And in my brief glimpse at that today, driving this for the first time, I understand why. It's a beautiful piece of technology. I could see the big smile on your face as you went past us several times. You were clearly really enjoying this. It's so lovely not only to be able to experience a different generation of technology and just have a tiny glimpse into the world you know, of what it was like for John Cobb to drive this car at record pace, but also to let so many people see it. And that's one of the lovely things about Brooklands. You know, it's such a thrill to be here, as the uh, guys who look after this car have just said. It's a Tuesday lunchtime, and yet we've got hundreds and hundreds of people here, all passionate about understanding the heritage of Brooklands, the motorsport, and indeed the blend of aerospace technology represented by the land speed record cars, and seeing that live uh, in action. So, you know, Brooklands d doesn't just tell a story about our history 100 years ago, it tells us a story about why Britain, in engineering terms, is still world-class today, and all the potential we have for the future. Well, an enormous potential, but sadly, I mean, your own efforts to try and better your record have seem to have come to naught at the moment because you're just not getting the funding you need to take the project further. 
there are always challenges for any project. Yeah. Yeah, again, look back in history, K-Don and the wonderful Silver Bullet was one of the greatest land speed record cars never to break a record uh, for funding reasons. Bloodhound again, um, when you look at the unfortunateness of the timing, the end of 2019, we came back from South Africa with a car that was easily doing over 600 miles an hour. Yeah. We actually went faster than we'd planned to. We said 500, we cracked well over 600. We came back with a proven car, proven team. We knew exactly what we needed to do to jump up to a new supersonic 800 mile an hour land speed record. And the following month, COVID arrived. Mm. So here we are two and a half years later, now trying to restart the, uh, the project. We may or may not finish up as, uh, as one of history's COVID fatalities. But the fact is we tried and other people will try. It's record breaking is about trying to overcome all the obstacles in the way including COVID. We're still in that process. Yeah, it's not just about building the cars, everything else. Thank you, Andy, for your time. Great pleasure. We are at the end of an extraordinary day. It's been a long day, it's been a tiring day. We've seen some quite amazing cars that really it's almost impossible to see mobile anywhere. The Nopia Railton, yes, I know they run that out occasionally at Brooklands here. This is where it lives. But the uh, land speed record uh, Sunbeam, uh, I'm sitting now just below the uh, finish line board, the original finish line board, and uh, just to restate it, 17th of May 1922, a 350 horsepower Sunbeam with Canal Guinness, 133.75 mph. And that was the last time that uh, Brooklands was able to be used for land speed records after that, that particular car moved on to create two more records at Pendine Sands under the ownership of Malcolm Campbell. And uh, it's been an extraordinary day to see all of these cars, most of them well over a hundred years old, cars that were setting records in 1904, 5 and so on and so on. Some of the earliest racing cars, the earliest land speed cars. Been a great day. I can't think of anywhere else I could have seen this, or anywhere else that we would have enjoyed it quite so much. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.